This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee. As the word is and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, all we hear Learning the Real Jesus. Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. And Axis Kids fourth grade in the third this morning's scripture reading is from Luke 6, 43 to 45. Be encouraged by the reading of God's word. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, thank you and uh, welcome and good morning. If we haven't met yet, I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis Church. And uh, if you are new, I'd like to meet you. If you can linger afterwards, introduce yourself, I'd appreciate that. Uh, Now I ask that you turn to Luke chapter 6, grab a Bible and follow along with us. We're going to be spending our time here in the book of Luke as we're preaching our way, working our way, teaching our way through uh, this uh, historical account, this narrative of uh, the life of Christ as recorded by a doctor and historian, a physician and historian, Luke. This is our 26th week now in our study through this text Um, And I'm excited to uh, continue this work uh, today with us. Let me pray and we will uh, get to work, okay? Uh, Father, uh, we we need your help because we're we're so easily distracted. Um, we so quickly jump from from uh, fear to fear, from next to next, from anxiety to anxiety, from thing to thing. Just even now, just taking the time to to try to stop and pump the brakes on some thoughts and sit to listen, to ponder, to, to think. Lord, we, we simply need your help to do this. We need you to calm us down. We need you to open our ears. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to open our minds. We need you to soften and open our, our hearts. Lord, we need you. We need your help. Lord, cease distraction, calm our hearts, slow our minds, and allow us to consider your word today and change us through this time that we're spending here with you together with this text. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so Jesus here is wrapping up uh, his famous uh, text, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, As we've looked at previous texts over the last few weeks, we've noticed that Jesus uh, is teaching us that Christians are to be slow uh, in their response to others in regards to their uh, retaliation, that they're, they're to be very calculated in how they respond. Um, Jesus tells us that Christians are those who love their enemies. Now don't let that, for those who've been raised in the church, don't let that go unchecked or unnoticed. Don't go quickly over that as if it's something, yeah, right, we know this, move on to the next thing. He says that we're to love our enemies. He says that we're to love and do good and share, not with those who love us, who do good to us and share with us. (laughs) This is easy to do. This is simple. 
This doesn't take the word of, the work of God in our hearts to do this. This is very contractual, right? This is how relationship tends to work. But he, Jesus goes deeper and he says, love and do good and share with those who hate you, with those who steal from you, and with those who shame you and persecute you. Love and do good and share with those sorts of people. He says, this is the Christian's disposition. The Christian's disposition is to show mercy. It is to give mercy. Not as you've received it from others, but to show and give mercy as your heavenly father has shown you mercy. Now, of course, this is in response to receiving the Father's mercy in our salvation. It's not to earn our salvation. He doesn't say be merciful to earn your salvation. He says be merciful as you've already been shown mercy, as you've already been shown grace, as you've already been saved. Therefore, let, let that help motivate now you extending mercy to others. Showing mercy in this way to those who aren't merciful to us, who hate us, steal from us, shame us, destroy our reputation, take from us. Showing mercy to those people, it's, it's, it's not possible for us to show this sort of mercy without this salvation from the Father. It's impossible. Jesus says that Christians aren't to judge others out of a reflex of revenge nor are Christians to judge others unfairly simply because you've been hurt or wounded. Last week, we looked into the different sorts of judgment, how there's a proud and judgmental sort of tough judgment of others. But then there's a kind judgment. There's a merciful judgment. There's a tender judgment of others. And Jesus demands the judgment that is infused with mercy. And Jesus says to tread lightly when we judge others. When we judge others, we must do so with mercy, which is, of course, the way that you and I would like to be judged. All of us here want to be judged leaning towards mercy and not towards the law. Well, building on this and continuing on this, Jesus, the greatest teacher ever, I mean, you can read this. It's incredible the way that he teaches and how he teaches. He's just, he's, he's perfect. He's perfect. So of course he's a great teacher. So he's pressing in. He's telling us there's certainly a wrong way to judge others as we looked at last week. But now this week, Jesus is telling us in a, in a sense, how to judge ourselves, how to take an internal inventory of our own heart how to, how to uh, do a self-assessment of our own lives. So look with me in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 43. He says, For no good tree, no useful tree, no helpful tree, okay? No good tree bears and produces bad fruit, rotten, worthless, diseased, unwholesome, unhelpful. No helpful tree produces unhelpful fruit. Nor again does a bad tree, a rotten or worthless, unwholesome, diseased, cursed tree, nor does that bad tree produce or bear good and useful, wholesome, helpful fruit. And each tree, in verse 44, each tree is acquainted with its own fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Each tree is associated by 
its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush. To use fruits that we're most familiar with today, apples aren't picked from peach trees and peaches aren't picked from apple trees. But the truer point uh, that Jesus is making is that apples don't come from poison ivy and pomegranates don't come from kudzu. Good fruit, good, truly beneficial, good fruit, helpful fruit, helpful for the kingdom of God, good, good conduct, good obedience, This good fruit can only come out of a good heart, a righteous heart, a heart that is complete, a heart that is restored in relationship with his creator, God. So Jesus is essentially saying that that all of us are are, are like trees, okay? We're all fruit trees. We're all fruit vines, and we all produce the kind of fruit that's in our hearts to grow. And the heart is the center of the person's being, the real you, as you really are. Not who you're pretending to be, but who you really are. And Jesus says that a good life comes from a good heart, whereas an evil heart produces an evil life. This is the way that God sees it. Now, you and I, we can appear good, right? We can appear kind and nice, tender and sweet on the outside. We can work hard in order to uh, develop a certain uh, perception that others have of us to be perceived well. But scripture clearly teaches that you're not saved and made perfectly good by being nice and kind or tricking others with the outward. You see, you and I, we can fool each other, but a terrifying truth when you really get down to it, a terrifying truth is that we can't fool God. A terrifying truth is that God knows the heart. He can't be tricked. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For the Lord sees not as you and I see. We look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is at first terrible news. We can't fool him. He knows all there is about us. When we say, no, it's okay, really, it's no big deal. He sees the rage. He sees the brokenness. He sees the disappointment that's down deep within us. He knows who we really are, regardless of the veneer that we may put on the outward appearance in order to appear a certain kind, nice, pleasant way to others. You see, you and I, we can change a little bit. We can, we can white knuckle some change. We can, we can help address a little bit of the, of the fruit, but we can't change the root. We can't address the true condition of our souls. We can't touch the heart. We can do a lot with the hands, but we can't address the issue of the heart. We can only produce the kind of spiritual fruit that's in our nature to produce. And no one knows this better than God. He knows our limitation. He knows that we can't truly change ourselves, that we can't truly help ourselves. 
Friend, that's why he sent Jesus Christ to us. It was only the mercy and love and compassion of God that sent, that commissioned Jesus out on a mission to save his people from their sins, to save them from their diseased and cursed roots and hearts so that they could have life and have life to the full and that they could begin producing good, good, good fruit, truly good fruit for the glory of God. And in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23, we're given a fruit that's consistent with a new heart, that's consistent with someone who's been regenerated and made new, made alive, as Paul would tell us in Ephesians 2. But Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of the flesh, you see, you and I are born of the flesh. We're reborn into the spirit and by the spirit. We're born carnal, we're born evil, we're born wicked, we're born cruel, we're born dead to God. But the Spirit changes us and it begins to bear fruit. And this fruit looks like this. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patient, it's kind, it's good, it's faithful, it's gentle, and it's laced with self-control. Now, not, don't just read that as if you read it off a coffee cup bought at a Christian bookstore or at Goodwill because someone returned it because it's tacky art, all right? What we need to look at is not just thinking of this verse and the fruits of the Spirit based on when things are great or when you're hanging out with your closest friends or when nothing really is going wrong. It's easy for anyone to be loving and gentle and patient and kind when there's enough money in the bank when there's enough health that you, that you have, when all the bills are being paid, when you're cooking out with friends, when you're having a blast at Disney World, you don't really have to work hard to be anything but nice and kind, right? That's, that's kind of simple. But what about when you're disappointed? When you're disappointed, heartbroken, when you've been crushed, when you've been harmed or hurt, love, joy, peace, patience, when you're at odds with your spouse, when you're frustrated with what to do with your children, with your parents, with your roommate, with your, with your job relationships, places of employment, your employer, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled. This is only a work of the Spirit of God in our hearts. We can never look at this list and say, I've done that. That's who I am. It is only grace if we reflect this a bit. It's only the power of God. It is the, it's not the fruit of Jeremy. It's the fruit of the spirit that's made manifest in Jeremy. It's not your fruit. It's the fruit. It's the evidence. It's the proof that God has changed you that he has rejuvenated your heart, that he has regenerated your soul, that he's made you alive, that he's taken out your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. He's made you a Christian. When that happens, the spirit begins to change you in such a way that your fruit begins to look different even when times are difficult and disappointing. You see, the reason we say the things that we say, the reason that we do the things that we do is that we are the people we are. 
Jesus says that, that some people have good hearts. They've been regenerated. They've been made new. And out of that goodness of their new hearts, they begin to produce good fruit. Therefore, one of the truest ways for us to tell whether we have good hearts is by looking at the way that we live. Yes, but Jesus said this mainly for the purpose of self-examination, not to point fingers at other people. He didn't talk about good and bad fruit primarily for us to examine what other people are producing. Remember last week in regards to judging others, tread lightly, be careful. And it is so unfortunate, but many in the church today feel it's their primary calling to be fruit inspectors, right? To be like fruit referees, right? To always be there pointing fingers, blowing whistles, throwing flags, and they end up living a very self-righteous and unsatisfied life because they're always trying to inspect other people. And they hurt other people, they wound other people, and they're not happy themselves. Remember, Jesus just finished warning us about judging others before judging ourselves. So the main thing that we need to check out is our own spiritual produce. This is our number one concern. What are we growing? If we would tend the garden of our heart as much as we're worried about other people's hearts, we'll be producing a lot more fruit, a whole lot more fruit. And by the way, if you judge someone by the type of fruit that they're producing, if you do it as Jesus told us in the earlier verses here, as we looked at last week, if you call out someone and you judge them with mercy and grace, tenderness, softness, the way that he's encouraging us to do right here, if you do this, once you've laid out a judgment, once you've deemed them as unhealthy or sinful or lacking in something, your job isn't finished. <laughs> your job is just getting started. It's just beginning. And here's where we, we slip up in, in the modern church, it seems, is we're quick to say you're wrong, but we're slow to offer help. In other words, we're to be slow and calculated and merciful in, in our judgments of others. And it's best to not judge unless you're ready to carry the load with them. Let's not call people out on issues that we're not willing to help shoulder a load of repentance, of restoration and change with. We've got to be there with them. That is community. That's friendship. Not just finger pointing, but, but burden bearing, coming up under them. That's the Christian community. The Christian community is such that it tells you what's lacking. It tells you what's needed, but then it helps you be guided into how to move forward from this point on. So if you're willing to speak the truth, if you're willing to speak the truth in love and with much grace, don't stop there. That's not enough, though that's an improvement, <laughs> but that's still not enough. Be willing to help them fix it. Help them be restored. Help them get to the cross. Help them get to Jesus. Now Jesus addresses the issue of the heart, the, the, the place where good fruit comes from, from this new heart. He does so in verse 45. He says, the good person out of the good wealth, the good riches, the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. So there's good, there's evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If you picked an apple yesterday, you did so from an apple tree. If you picked strawberries last week, you didn't pick them from a watermelon vine. You see, the, the fruit tells of what sort of tree or plant that we're dealing with. 
Well, in the same way, Jesus says, the mouth tells what sort of heart is within a person. The heart is either good or evil. Those are the two categories by which God sees all things, perfectly good or evil. Well, you might be thinking, well, that's good news. I'm not an evil person. I mean, anyone who knows me knows that I'm kind I'm, I'm encouraging. I'm a good person. Any, you ask anybody, I'm a good person. But here's the problem. The Bible disagrees with your self-assessment. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All of us have sinned and fallen short of perfection, fallen short of the glory of God, fallen short of perfect righteousness. So if you've sinned, if you've sinned even one time, Friend, this makes you a sinner, and therefore you can't truly say that you're completely good, that you are perfectly righteous. But Scripture continues to build, even in that same chapter of Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10, it says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You might think, well, okay, I, I get it. I understand. No, he continues. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Friend, this describes me. This describes you. This describes everyone. Every one of us, this is, a, this is our resume. This is it. Were it not for grace and mercy, were it not for the compassion of God, this describes every single one of us ever. The Bible tells us that we're all evil, that we're all born this way. Not all of us are good, though some of us are good, and those who are good have been reborn in this way of goodness. And be reminded of what good means, of what we're dealing with here. We're not, we're not graded on a curve. Your goodness is not compared to me and my goodness. Your goodness is compared with perfection. It's not a subjective issue. It's not a subjective ruling. We're either perfect or we're not. We're either good or we're evil. We're either righteous or we're not. And Jesus mentioned this idea of good and goodness in Luke chapter 18. Uh, a wealthy young man came up to Jesus, one with a, had a lot of authority. In the church, he's known as the rich young ruler. And this ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, this word good, by the way, is the same Greek word used for good tree, good fruit. All right, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. There is only one who is good. So we shouldn't simply sit back and wait to be judged by our fruits or by our hearts. If we're bad, we have to do something about it. If we're not good, we should do something about it. But we can't change our hearts. We're in trouble. You see, you don't have to be a scientist to know that trees can't produce a different fruit than the fruit that they were created to produce. If you go out and plant watermelon seeds, you don't get corn, right? And if you plant corn, you're not going to get mangoes. So what's needed is a new and better tree. 
What's needed is a new heart, a new vine, a new plant, and we can only produce what we've been created to produce. Therefore, in order to produce obedience to God from the heart that's considered good, we must be recreated, not just updated, not just pruned back a touch. We have to become different, entirely different. What Jesus helps us here recognize is the real problem that is at the root of all our sin. It comes from an evil heart. It comes from a bad heart. Again, we're all born with this evil heart, but only those born again and made new who have been regenerated by God and only through Jesus Christ, they have been reborn with a good heart, with a new heart. But here's what religion says. Religion says you can change now. Here's how. Here's what to do. Now go do it. Religion says take matters in your own hands. Try harder. Irreligion says who cares? Just eat, drink, be merry, and don't worry about any of this stuff. But what's needed is the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus became the cursed tree for us on the cross on the tree, suffering and dying in our place for our sins, for our sinful hearts, in order for us to be cured from the root issues of our sinful heart. Basically, you needed a new heart, a perfect heart, and Jesus gave you his. That's the gospel. What's needed is a change that only God can create, that only God can manufacture, Only God can do what's needed. And this is the point that Jesus is making. This this means that real spiritual change, the, the true change that is required here is a change that we can't manufacture. This spiritual renewal from within can only happen when we first experience the total heart transformation known as regeneration. Being saved, made a Christian by the power of God at work in your life. And far too often, we're so focused on trying to change our outward actions and adjusting our vocabulary a bit and our response to others without asking God for a new heart. Focusing on all these outward things is simply religion. It's not going to touch the heart. We see that we're bearing bad fruit. Many of us know that we're often negative and bitter and rude and that we're selfish. Many of us know that something's wrong somewhere, something isn't right, that when we get down to it, we're truly not at peace. We're not happy. We, we, when we get down to the bottom of it all, we're discontent. Many of us know that some of our actions and our attitudes, they're wrong, they're sinful we don't know what to do. We've got this deep-seated rage. We've got this deep rage. We've got pinned-up frustration. So we drift quickly to sexual sin, to pornography, to substance abuse. Our self-righteousness is off the charts. We, we become very proud. And so we try solving our issues by gaining more control within our friendships or within our diets, within our health, increasing our incomes, becoming more productive at work trying to find value somewhere. We're trying to get at the issue somewhere, somehow. We're so often consumed with only looking out for ourselves and when things don't go our way, we're fueled and driven by self-pity. Eventually, we realize that our lives are a complete mess and we don't know what to do. Well, I know what we need to do. We need to stop doing certain bad things and start doing good things. We're gonna be determined to change. 
We're never going to say those words again. We're never going to watch that movie. We're going to change our music. We're going to be more positive. I must will myself to stay far away from my bad addictions. I know what it is. I'm just not focused enough. I'm not trying hard enough. Maybe if I tried as hard as Kevin or Steve or Kathy, maybe then I'll get better. And we go after it this way with all our heart. And it worked. What do you know? It worked for a couple hours. But it's not sustainable. We fail. And you know what makes it worse? Is we talk such a big game of change that we fail and now there's shame on top of that. So now we don't like ourselves and now we feel like others call us another fraud. We know we're a fraud, but now others do too. We still continue to be overcome by the same sinful pattern. And so guess what? Now there's not only shame, there's guilt. Why would God ever take me seriously when I can't even do this? Friends, God sent Jesus to you because you can never take him serious enough. You can never get out of the pit that you've dug. Never. He sent Jesus to save you. This is where Jesus can help us. He helps us see. He helps us discover. He helps us identify the real problem at the root of all of our sin. It comes from an evil heart. The heart of the problem is a problem of your heart. So what we need is a new heart, not to be able to be a better faker, not to have a thicker veneer, not to learn the right words and stay away from the bad words, not to how to cover things up. We must become entirely different. We need a different heart. Paul Tripp says in his excellent book, The War of Words, he says, it is very tempting to blame others or to blame the situation around us. But word problems reveal heart problems. I don't like this at all, by the way. But it's still true. The people and situations around us do not make us say what we say. They are only the occasion for our hearts to reveal themselves in words. What should we say then when we get caught saying something or doing something that's evil? What do we do? What is the good and righteous response when we're confronted with our sin? When someone confronts us with grace and mercy and tenderness? Something that we said, something that we did, perhaps our anger, our perversion, or our pride, and we're confronted. When this happens, the gospel frees us up to say something like this. You know, that's really what I'm like. I'm just really embarrassed right now because usually I'm better at hiding it. This isn't just something that happened. This is me. And I would love your help getting to the cross. Can you tell me the gospel? Or, you know, it's not really you, it's me. I know I said that you made me angry, but really it's because I'm so angry that I treated you the way that I did and I had higher expectations from me and I know that you expect more, 
And I'm just not resting in the gospel. I'm, I'm trusting in my own performance. Will you help me get to the cross? Will you, will you help guide me now with a lot of tenderness? Man, that's how, man, me and Jill, when we call each other out like this, we, we preface it with a lot of care. It's like, I need you to be super tender right now. Like, I'm very fragile. I'm, I'm proud. And so I don't want to say the wrong things. I don't want to retaliate. I need you to help me get to the cross. But I don't need you to offend me. I need you to be tender with me right now. Know that your words carry a lot of weight right now. It's not going to take much for me to break. Just be patient with me and get me to Jesus. That's friendship. That's community. The gospel frees us up to embrace our need and get to Jesus. So first we must know that we need new hearts, but also Jesus wants us to know also that if we've got new hearts, we will indeed, we must be producing new fruit, good fruit. That this is an identifying mark of the Christian. You know, many people had gathered to listen to Jesus preach. Hundreds of people, disciples, doubters, skeptics, religious fanatics that crucified him, like people of all different backgrounds, there before Jesus. Hundreds. They paid careful attention to what Jesus said. They heard what he said about patience and persecution. They heard him talk about loving enemies, about not being judgmental. But friend, listening wasn't enough. Liking Jesus and being inspired by his teachings weren't enough. What mattered most was not simply hearing what Jesus had to say, but Christian, It's doing what Jesus said to do. This is the best test of Christian discipleship. Christian, Christian, are you living the way that Jesus has taught you to live, that the Spirit is fueling you to live? Are you leaning on your own strength or are you depending upon his? Is your goal each day to become more like Jesus? Do you have a goal? What drives you? What motivates you? What is it? What are you aspiring to do? What are you aspiring to be? Does it have anything at all to do with Jesus? The truest profession of our faith is the practice of our faith. Christian, we have to take this to heart. Jesus says this is the case. If you have a new heart, you're gonna bear this fruit. This sort of teaching from Jesus, it has to push us towards repentance. It has to push us towards confession. We must humble ourselves. We must approach the cross this morning, seeking forgiveness and asking the Holy Spirit for his power, his strength to live out this life that he's called us to live. Christian, he is changing you. He is changing you. He's changed you so much. Press in. Don't be content with where you are. Press in. Humble yourself a little bit more. John 3.30, let let yourself decrease and let him increase more and more each day. Let today be some sort of wake-up call to the gospel, to take it to heart, to receive it with a new freshness this morning. And now for those who aren't Christians yet that have been listening this morning, friend, you need a new heart. You need a new heart. That's it. That's the most important thing that you could ever consider. That's it. This is what you need. You've got to have it. You just simply have to. There's no other way around it. You just, you have to have a new heart. You've got to experience the joy and the thrill and the gladness of having your sins forgiven, 
of what it means to take Jesus Christ up on his offer when he says, come to me, all who are weary and tired, exhausted, broken, and depleted, and I'm gonna give you rest. (laughs) You've gotta take him up on that. You're missing out. Take hold of life. Take hold of Christ. Being better or trying harder. Friend, it's not enough, and I wish it were. I wish I could tell you that it was enough if you just tried really hard this week. If you just did these five things this week, everything else would be working out better, but this isn't the way it is. That's not the gospel. That's just moralism. That's just religion. And you need more. You need the truth. And the truth is, friend, that you're only going to be truly happy in this life if you humble yourself and trust Jesus. That's it. And don't complicate it. That's it. Humble yourself and trust Jesus. Friend, Jesus stepped into time and space. He entered into human history. He walked the face of this earth in order to change you, in order to save you, in order to make you new, to make you good, truly good. He did this so that you could be in relationship with God, the creator of the world, and being in this relationship, this special, very real relationship with God is what your heart is crying out for, and there is no sufficient substitute for this type of relationship with God. Nothing will satisfy your heart quite like the reuniting, the reconciling work with your designer, with your creator, the one who made you, your life and your soul. So friend, you don't need to be improved. You need to be made new. You need a new heart. And this is the work that only God can do for you. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has given himself in order to provide the way. Trust him. Ask God for faith to believe this gospel. Ask God for the ability to see your sin as the problem and to see Jesus as the solution to your problem. Ask God to give you eyes to see your sin is the problem and give you eyes to be able to see Jesus as the solution to your problem. Nothing else will work. Nothing else will do. Only Jesus Christ. Trust him. Well, Christian, it's time for us to remember what Jesus Christ has done. So this morning, I want us to remember that According to Romans 8, 1 through 4, there is now, therefore, no condemnation, no shame, no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free, set you free in Christ Jesus, set you free from the law of sin, set you free from the law of death. For God did what we couldn't do. (laughs) For God did and has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not accomplish. And he did this by sending his own son to be like us. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh on the cross in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, as us. We couldn't do this ourselves. We could never meet what was required. Jesus does this for us. Those who walk not according to the flesh any longer, but now who walk according to the spirit. Remember this. This wasn't your fault. God gave this gift to you. He gave you this gift of faith. He did this for you. Christian, this is your story. This is our story only because the mercy and grace of God, only because the work of Jesus Christ 
So now we have communion. This is a special time for you to remember the work of Jesus. You needed a new heart, so Jesus gave you his. This is what we're remembering. You're gonna take this bread in just a moment. And you're going to take this bread and dip it into the juice or the wine based on your age or conscience. That bread represents the perfect life that Christ lived for you. Canceling out, totally canceling out your life of sin. Everything that you've done wrong, Christ lived a perfect life to exchange for your sinful life. Not only this, but he died absorbing the penalty, the wrath, the separation from God that we deserve. And this is what the red liquid represents. It symbolizes his sacrifice for us so that now you are good. You're righteous, you're perfect. Because of Christ, when God sees you, he can't take the smile off his face. He can't take it off his face. He's grinning ear to ear because he only sees what Jesus has done for you. He's so impressed with you because of Jesus. Friend, if you're anything like me, that's good news. And you see now why we celebrate Jesus. Because if God were to look at Jeremy based on Jeremy, Jeremy's in trouble. But when God looks at Jeremy because of Jesus and through, the, through what Jesus has accomplished, then I'm all right. I'm good. I'm righteous. This is what we're celebrating this morning through communion. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being such a wonderful gift, such, a, such an incredible sacrifice for us. Spirit, thank you for working in our hearts, changing us. Lord, help us this morning as we remember this work of what you've accomplished for us. And Lord, be with my friends who aren't Christians yet. Lord, would you make them Christians now? Would you save them? Would you regenerate them and make them new? Would you give them life? Lord, let, grant them forgiveness and let them understand now what grace and mercy is all about. Lord, help them humble themselves. Help them see you for who you are. Help them see them as they are through your eyes, not the eyes of comparison with other people, but through your eyes. And then would they see Jesus for what, who he is and what he's accomplished? And would they grab a hold of him and be oh so thankful for his work and what he's accomplished for them on their behalf? Lord, help us, those of us who are Christians, help us bear good fruit in accordance with the good spirit that is within us. Lord, help us. Lord, I add your special blessing this time of communion and remembering your work. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.